0: Full disclosure, I love William Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew, and I know that that might be a controversial statement now in these very, very sensitive and appropriately sensitive times, but I love that play, Uh, and I'm so thrilled that I get to talk to now Shauna Cooper a director who recently directed Taming of the Shrew for the Hudson Valley Shakespeare Company and received Valentine reviews from not only the New York Times, from from Terry Teachout, um, the not terribly whimsical uh, theater critic of the Wall Street Journal. Um, And in a production that I so wish I could have seen, first of all, Shauna, is it fair to say that you have tamed Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew?
1: Oh, my Lord. What a provocative question.
0: Shauna Cooper is an assistant professor at Northwestern University and has directed productions all over the country, including a terrifically powerful Julius Caesar at Oregon Shakespeare Festival in 2017, which I was lucky enough to see on its opening night. When I saw the glowing raves for her production of Taming of the Shrew at the Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival this summer, I knew I wanted to talk to her about how she made this troublesome play work in what I hope is our hopefully slightly more enlightened and improving era.
1: I don't know that I've tamed the play, but I too have a deep love for it. And I believe in it. And I think the questions it asks are Bottomless and wild and woolly, so perhaps untamable. But that's not a reason why we shouldn't try.
0: I was very lucky. People ask, What is your first experience with Shakespeare? Mm. One of my first experiences with Shakespeare was seeing the American Conservatory Theater production uh, directed by Bill Ball, William Ball, in 1976, starring Mark Beastmaster Sanger as Petruchio. It was very physical, very commedia. You can find it on YouTube. It was so funny. I saw it when I was a kid, I saw it on PBS. I saw it before I read it. Uh, I saw that it was funny. Key. It's key, yes. Yeah. How did you experience it?
1: And I, well, yeah. I, I'll just say, side note on the commedia thing. I think that is key because I feel like it's written in that style, and so it, it's inescapable. And I think if you try to do a production that doesn't wrestle with that and doesn't yeah. embrace the clown nature of it, the kind of sa- satire, I think that he's making.
0: So he's doing a battle of, he's writing a battle of the sexist play because those are funny, but he's also satirizing a battle of the sexist play, right?
1: That's right. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. Completely. Right. That Yes. It's, yes, he, there is the Punch and Judy nature of it, which is embracing in a way these like classic jokes that we as a society since his time have just loved and we eat it up, but he's, I, I believe absolutely that he is a also satirizing that culture and that society, which, obviously, given the events of the last couple of years, we yes. are still deeply wrestling with.
0: But the the great thing about the last couple of years is is that now we're wrestling, right? Yes.
1: Right. I, right. Totally. Yeah. Well, it's out in the open. It's out that in we're the open. Not pretending yeah. it doesn't exist yes. anymore, and yeah. and that's what's interesting is like Shakespeare wrote this play that's so baldly misogynist in a way, though, that I believe you can't. Um, be that overtly, aggressively misogynist and not be doing a satire. I just, you, I, I don't, I mean, I think the play, you can, you can point to a million instances in terms of who wins and who loses mm-hmm. and- And who
0: uh, is tamed. And who is tamed yeah. and,
1: and all of those things and, and, so, and understand that. But also I feel like you can look at his body of work and go, this is not someone who was at, deep in his heart and soul, um misogynist and I think he was always wrestling with yeah. um, the truth of his times and and so now I feel like weirdly as a culture we're finally ready for the play.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Well and so so you directed it recently at Hudson Valley. Had you directed it before and had you thought about it before or or, or did you, you get the get the gig and then go, Jesus, what am I gonna do about the time we get the truth?
1: I do have a history with this play, like you, actually It was one of the early plays I saw at OSF. Um,
0: Oregon Shakespeare Festival, which we've talked about it before on the podcast. Yeah,
1: and I think I was seven or eight. It was on the outdoor stage. It was also quite physical. I still have visual memories of that production. Nothing about content, really, but I remember loving it, enjoying it as a young person. And then I assisted it, assisted on it at... um, Cal Shakes, oh, right shoot. out of undergrad, an incredible director named Lillian Groag. and it was Jonathan Moscone's first year at Cal mm-hmm. Shakes, and she did this fantastic production, great commedia production, and um, Trini and Mari Sandoval played Kate and Petruchio. They were married, oh, yeah. and they really embraced, along with Lillian, the love story, And I think that was when I really started to understand that part of the play. And so I was sold on the love story through their interpretation. And then years later, I had too many to count, um, after grad school, John Moscone, wanted me to direct a show was pitching Damien the Shrew. And initially, I said no, because I actually went back and read the play and hated it. Yes. I just was like, I don't want to do this play. There's the whole part of the play that's not Caden Petruchio, which I hated. I am not a funny person. So I also <laughs> was like, oh my god, so much of this play, it's these clowns and comedians. And, oh god, I don't understand it. I can't make it funny. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to do bits. I just all seemed like not the right fit. Um, And John kept coming back to me and was like, I think you have to do this play. And so finally, I agreed to do it, actually, not having found my way in. I think it was the first time I agreed to direct a play, really not feeling on board with the play itself. Went through the whole design process, was still really wrestling with the play. And it wasn't until I got into rehearsal And I had this incredible group of clowns in the room and they just like won me over, you know? And so I laughed harder in that rehearsal process than I ever had in any Mm -hmm. production I'd done. And I really fell in love with and and started to understand the purpose of the clowns, which I now feel like is the key to all of these Shakespeare plays, is if you have the clowns, why are they there? Mm-hmm. And what light are they shedding yes. on the other part of society? Yes. Um, and Shakespeare's just asking you to look at it askew and sort of understand yeah. these um, prickly, challenging ideas mm-hmm. in a fun, irreverent way. Mm-hmm. And so once I understood the purpose, and then I had really great clowns in the room that just made me laugh in spite of myself, I I was, like, on board, you know? (laughs) Like, it it sold me. And I loved working on it, and and that was in 2011, I think. Right. So um, I hadn't come back to it, and then Davis McCallum, who runs Hudson Valley Shakes, and I were just talking about different plays, and that was one that was on his list, and I just said, I, you know, I would love to do that play again. I love directing Shakespeare plays yeah. multiple times. They're bottomless. It's, oh my gosh. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah. like a dream to come back to them. And um, so we were talking about it, and then all the shit went down last year, mm. which was 2017. It was like the Me Too movement started. All Everything started coming out about Harvey Weinstein. Davis called me, and he was like, ah do you think we could do this play right now? Mm-hmm. And I felt like we have to do this play right now. This actually feels like the perfect opportunity. Um, you know, it is a play about the danger and absurdity of the patriarchy. And that's the moment we're in. Yeah. So for me, it just felt like this This was the time. And uh and coming back to it, it was very different than, than directing it in 2011. And actually, I worked with the same choreographer. And we had these moments um, talking about the induction, which we uh, choreographed sort of our own what's the,
0: what What's the induction moment?
1: Induction moment is a frame that Shakespeare gives. Oh, right, oh gives, sure,
0: Christopher Sly. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, Taming of the Shrew, and it's Christopher Sly. It's the one part of the play that I've still never found my way into, mm-hmm. but it feels significant that there is a frame to the story. That the Kate and <clears throat> Petruchio story is a is a um, parable for. A, a kind of society as a whole and so we have to get that larger frame and then deep dive into the story
0: Well and there's something about the induction moment too is that those opening scenes with the Christopher Sly tell you how to watch the rest of the play
1: That's right, that's exactly right Yeah. So when we started working on it this time around though there were so many things, the first time around we did this kind of uh, uh, movement driven beauty pageant um, which interestingly oh. years later yeah. Phila Deloy did in this um, in the park oh, cool. production Okay, uh, which I read about and was like well we clearly shouldn't go back to that idea because everyone's going to think yeah. we're basing it off of that and then also times had changed yeah. in a way that actually Erica and I sat down and we went oh my god we can't do that like that, we just there were so many things that we did in yeah. that first production that we both felt like that doesn't fly right now in this moment in time. And so what we ended up doing for the induction to teach audiences how to watch the show was really um, a kind of clown, a clown show about the patriarchy. And, it, and we ca- the thing we said the whole production was punch up. Like if you're going to be making fun of something or mm-hmm. mocking something, which is kind of how this play rolls, yeah. choose the high status people to make fun of. And so that was our whole induction was like, if you're gonna take the idea of masculinity and the idea of the patriarchy and just um, play with it, mock it, you know, like that we can take it, you know, like actually the patriarchy can take it. And and it's interesting because we did have conversations with people who saw the induction early on who were like, are you worried about the men in the audience who are going to have trouble with this. And I thought, you know, they are just not the people I've been thinking about, you know? But it was fascinating to go, oh, right. Like, you're very concerned because you're going to be coming to see this play, and your husband's going to be sitting next to you, and you're worried about him, which I completely understand. And right now is not the moment for me personally to be making work that is taking care of that individual.
0: Yeah, I think you're I think it's totally within your right to say. I my considered opinion about that is those guys.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Hi, this is Ellen Margolis, chair of Theater and Dance at Pacific University in Oregon, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast.
0: Where can you RSC the RSC? You can see reduced Shakespeare in your own home by owning your very own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, illustrated by the marvelous Jenny Maisels. It's on sale worldwide, and you can find links to both Amazon and independent bookstores in the U.S. and the U.K. on our website. This week, our 2018-2019 tour of William Shakespeare's long-lost first play, A Bridge, The Ultimate Christmas Show Abridged and The Complete Works of William Shakespeare Abridged Revised continues at Wake Forest University Thursday night and then continues on to 27 different cities in 18 different states featuring 11 different actors and three different stage managers. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for The Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office, venue, and ticket information. And now back to my conversation with Shauna Cooper, director of this summer's Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival production of William Shakespeare's *Taming of the Shrew*. At some point, I think you said this something about how it's a it's a it's a love story. I mean, I've always found yeah. that to be a. I have. Yeah. I think Petruchio and Kate are incredibly well matched. Totally. And they de- and they not only deserve each other. They yeah. they 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 it, they, it, they are the reward for each uh, other. Yeah. You know. Um. I think you called them in your in your program notes radical souls is that right is that oh something so, that sounds does that, that sound like you I would say yes <laughs> but I think that's an yeah. in- interesting idea it's a yeah. great not only is this a great moment it's a uh, to look at the play it's yeah. a great moment to look at this kind of relationship it's not a yes. traditional relationship
1: they're revolutionaries yeah. i think that's right they are people who are radical individuals within their society and the fact that they choose each other and choose to fight the quite difficult challenging fight that is required in order to be with each other instead of choosing the status quo yeah i feel like contributes to the radical nature of their relationship and i think um the choice that they're making that could contribute to a transformation of the status quo—that's the thing mm, I find so right. hopeful about the play—is its—is its proposal that perhaps fighting that difficult, uncomfortable fight could lead to a happier landscape. And I think I think Shakespeare offers us that. I mean, the end of the play, Kate and Petruchio. Essentially walk off into the sunset like that is the end of the play as written and everyone else who are the um, High-status characters in this play and the kind of winners of the game in this society they're left there speechless at the wedding with either Relationships that they've realized they're gonna be miserable in or totally alone. Yeah, And so that, to me, is a point of view from the author that is um, celebrating and inviting us all to um, forge this unknown and thorny path because the rewards are richer.
0: And if you look at the text, Mm -hmm. the text doesn't help. You in in understanding this idea that you just said that they go off into the sunset and the, and it's kind of and it's kind of lovely. You have mm-hmm. to kind of you kind of have to intuit a subtext, lots of subtext, don't you?
1: Well, see, okay. So this is where my opinion is perhaps unpopular, but I truly believe it's as written. It's what the, the playwright intended.
0: I 100% agree, for the record. Yes. yes.
1: But, it, it, you know, that final speech, which is, is where a lot of the problems lie, right? I believe my reading of it, which again, I would argue is what the playwright intended, but a lot of people would say otherwise, is that it is a speech about um, a woman realizing the power and, and kind of vulnerability of abandoning yourself fully to a partner in love and in life, and in a way um, redefining what it means to be powerful. And that part of the reason why we're in the situation we're in is we've continued through all of these hundreds of years since Shakespeare wrote this play to live by a masculine idea of what power means. And the power, the kind of power, the kind of partnership she articulates in that final speech is one that is about vulnerability and it's a it's about truly abandoning yourself to another human being. And so I think it's very hard for us to hear that as um, powerful and not submissive But, but I think if you go line by line with the exception of a few pronouns and a couple of words it holds up I I would say the reading of the text holds up now I chose because of the moment we're in to change I think I changed like three pronouns to make it inclusive of uh, men as well as women, and similarly changed a couple of words to make it inclusive of men as as well right. as women. because I think I think she's articulating a set of guidelines that should be true for all of us and yes. also beyond, you know, not simply men and women, but anyone who identifies um, across the gender spectrum. and and that she is actually the the person who can see, far enough to articulate that Mm -hmm. and that it it's interesting that someone like petruchio who is so verbose the entire play is silent Mm -hmm. at the end of the play and actually kate who has a relatively difficult time articulating herself as a human being at the end of the play is so articulate and really has what feels what sounds to me based on the text like a kind of um, revelation yeah. so I think that text does take us there the tricky thing is 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 how do you hear that as an as a prescription and an invitation for all people not simply women right. and and I think you do have to alter make a couple tweaks but it's small it's like five words yeah. in an entire like two and a half page speech so
0: Listen, I'm the wrong guy you have right. to convince, you know, but, about but changing means, words. Yeah. Like,
1: if, it's only, if yeah. it's only a handful of words and the speech is that long, yeah. are you really going to say actually you're going against something the author intended all these years, hundreds of years ago? Like, probably you're on the same track if that's all it takes to bring that speech into the present.
0: Well, absolutely. They each offer each other in a patriarchal society with very few options kate and petrigio each offer each Mm. other different kinds of options that they might not have otherwise that they probably don't have otherwise so in that sense they are i think you said this they are charting a path that we Uh, can all follow you know we don't have to adhere to what everybody says we've got to adhere to
1: yes exactly and i think that's the invitation is just do the radical thing which is creating a new system. Yeah. That Shakespeare is very clear that the system is broken. Yeah. The status quo of Padua is made up of, while incredibly entertaining yeah. and delightful clowns, ridiculous and... Um, Destructive human beings, right? There's no one in the rest of the world who you look at and you go, "I wish I was like Romeo, this old lecherous man," or "I wish I, <laughs> you know, was like Bianca, who's sort of being who everyone needs her to be." Right. You don't look at the other characters in that play and and you know idealize them or or yearn to be them. I mean, he's very clear in his satir- sat sat satire.
0: Satir- Satir- Satirization, satirizing. satirizing? Yes, yes. yes,
1: all of those. <laughs> so, so Caden Petrucchio, though though messy and flawed, feel like they're inspiring us to choose that must-say flawed route because what you may find on the other side is a greater gift. And I feel like sometimes the the um, Oh my gosh, just like uh, where we fail is the belief, or where we fail even in our reading or understanding of this play, is the judgment of Petruchio or Kate, who absolutely make mistakes over the course of the play, but they are also a product of that flawed society. And I think we're in this moment right now where suddenly we're sort of expecting ourselves to overnight have recognized and solved the issues. And if we're only right now starting to articulate the depth of how broken we are as a society, it's not going to be fixed overnight. We have to give ourselves time. We have to give ourselves room to make mistakes and still challenge ourselves to just pioneer that difficult, thorny, woolly path.
0: That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. What do you think about Taming of the Shrew? Does this production sound like it would have worked for you? Leave us your thoughts on our website or on our podcast page on Facebook or via Twitter or even send us an email the old-fashioned way to feedback at com. You can find the podcast page at RSE Podcast on Facebook, at Reduced Shakespeare Company on Instagram or at Reduced on Twitter. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener. Thanks as always to Total Shrew, Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band. A random fan shout out this week goes to Dorian Lang. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Ellen Margolis, chair of theater and dance at Pacific University in Oregon. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. I'm Austin Titchener, 614, 1840 seconds of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. And because Taming of the Shrew is so wonderful a play to talk about, Shauna and I kept talking for another few minutes. So, okay... Uh, 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 yes they make mistakes what did you do with the 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 food scene when 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 petruchio starves her because we've been having a family conversation and my 22 year old son who is incredibly woke and is incredibly feminist he just went i can't get past that scene he starves Mm -hmm. her that's bullshit how did you handle it
1: oh my god i love your son i want to meet him smart man, I will just say. That scene, though, that scene, it, I, the food scene and the, um, it's actually the scene right after it about the jewelry and the, that's the thorniest part of the play. Like, my reading of the play, and it's where in rehearsals the actors are like, I'm on board, and then suddenly they're like, I'm not on board, for <laughs> right. different reasons. Okay. Kate and Petruchio, always in that scene, yeah. are like, F- you. Yeah, like, exactly. I, thought, I thought you had charted a path through this play, and now I don't believe you anymore. And um, however, both times the outcome that has uh, been helpful, and it's text-based, is the moment in which he takes the food away is after he is asking for her to say thank you. Now, the Kate rightfully so always makes the argument of like, he's starving me, I'm not going to say thank you. Yes. Like, why should I say thank you? Right. Um, Rightfully so, and you understand that. And like the challenge in that scene, because she is not given text, is you kind of have to create nonverbal text for her. And what you understand of
0: this not subtext, nonverbal text. That's right. To clarify, because she
1: doesn't have text in actually any of those those scenes. Once they get to his house, she has very minimal text. So. I, I, and she's not a woman of a lot of words, actually, all the way through, except for the wooing scene. Mm-hmm. So there's something about her that is still, until you get to the Taylor scene and she finally says, my tongue will tell the anger of my heart, or my heart concealing it will break. And rather than I sh- it shall, I will be free. like That is the first time that she fully finds her voice in the play. And that's like 3 quarters of the way through the play and that phrase you listen to and you're like yes please any newspaper article you know in the last year and a half it uh, she is shakespeare is giving voice to i think something that women can really feel um and relate to at this moment of time but that's kind of another story anyway but she's silent yeah also not uncommon i think the thing that we're hearing a lot of is like the ways and reasons which women are silent in situations where you think why would you be silent that's also the play that he's written which is not untrue to right. the world that we live in so you i think in order to understand her trajectory you have to kind of script a nonverbal journey for her through those scenes so you understand what she's going through and Part of that is the way in which she is rejecting and fighting and frustrated by him, which is his obstacle, which is, I think, part of what he's fighting against when he asks for her to be grateful. Right. That when he's offering the food, it's not the first time he's asking to say thank you. It's like, He's had the whole scene when they first get back to the house and he says, let's give thanks. And right. she's like, F- you. you just dragged me through the woods. I'm not going to yeah. give thanks. All of which is understandable and without compromise, without a kind of them finding a way to communicate, which is, I think, the thing he recognizes. Right. This relationship is never going to work. And she doesn't know how to trust someone enough to communicate in that way at that point in the play. So I think if you if you understand her walls Mm -hmm. and you understand the way in which he is trying to reach through those walls and she isn't letting him then you can understand the reason which in those moments he's saying i'm asking something simple which is just Say thank you. Like, in this relationship, all I need you to do is say thank you. And she can't do it, and so she can't, he can't give her the food. I mean, it's food, right. so that's a little, still a little tricky. That's where it, get, it gets right. challenging. I'm not saying it's perfect. Right, right, right. But, okay. but I think that's what's the, what the conflict is between yeah. them. Still, never starve your partner. Like that—that that is maybe a little dated, right?
0: Okay, I, I, we should have said that right at the top of the podcast to make that clear. Do not starve your partner. I think good advice. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Shauna.
1: Yes, absolutely. Anytime, Shakespeare's time, our time, always a good word of
0: advice. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company, reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. Man so, man. so much less so much less so.